Hello and welcome to The Zip Files, a weekly television news catch-up show. Prepare your eardrums for 10 of the most interesting bits of tech news that entered the world last week. We're talking about an artificial intelligence that is wicked at playing Quake, Tesla hitting its production goals, finally, a new Russian data law that will help the Kremlin spy on its citizens, and much, much more. In between all of that, we've got a long listen on the global housing crisis and how we might hope to put a bandage on it. Due to England getting into the semi-finals of the Football World Cup, I was unable to interview a special guest for this week's episode. Special guests being probed with odd and totally irrelevant questions will be back as of next week's episode, I promise. In the meantime, it's coming home. Science slowly started to realise, sometime in the late 1940s, that cigarettes kill us. Now it's well documented as one of the leading causes of preventable death. The thing is that people keep on keeping on. They keep on putting those tar-filled fire sticks to their lips. It's cool, it's addictive, it's relaxing, it's social. So say smokers. But can something else that doesn't pose such a health risk fill this void? Well, that's the gambit of electronic cigarettes, who market themselves as the healthier alternative to smoking normal cigarettes and have been doing so with success. Perhaps the most notorious of these e-cig startups is Juul Labs, whose slim, rectangular, discreet product design combines with its power-packing nicotine pods to attract users in their droves. Since its launch in 2015, it has truly smoked its competitors. Its flagship vape pen is only available in the US and Israel, but the company has plans to take its success global and is raising $1.2 billion at a valuation of $15 billion. The tobacco industry is really quite a big business, and Juul are capturing an increasingly meaningful portion of it. As of last month, Nielsen data indicated that Juul has 68% market share in the US e-cigarette market. Since the beginning of 2017, conventional cigarettes have lost 4% of the smoking and vaping market, whilst Juul has scooped up 3.5% of the market share. Morgan Stanley analyst Pamela Kaufman wrote recently that, quote, Juul's success underscores the potential for disruptive technology to undermine US tobacco's reliable business algorithm. Apple Maps has long been the butt of many a slightly nerdy joke synonymous with failure. If you use Apple Maps instead of Google Maps, then I'm not really sure we can be friends, to be honest. Apple Maps is just so bad in comparison. So very bad. But perhaps not for much longer, because Apple is rebuilding its Maps app from the ground up and has been working on this project for years. This week, the new and improved Apple Maps launched in the Bay Area and will roll out through California before taking on the rest of the world. Apple's senior VP, Eddie Q had this to say of the project, quote, We've been working on trying to create what we hope is going to be the best map app in the world, taking it to the next step. That is building all of our own map data from the ground up, end quote. So, if you use Apple Maps, then maybe we shouldn't be friends for a bit. But, you know, we can talk again soon. Elon Musk jubilantly tweeted that Tesla hit its Model 3 production goal last week. Back in 2017, Musk said that Tesla's production facilities were on track to churn out 5,000 Model 3s per week 
by the end of 2017. Then, in early October of that same 2017, an embarrassed Tesla stepped forward and revealed that it had produced just 260 Model 3s in the whole of the third quarter. Musk has repeatedly referred to the Model 3 as production hell, but it seems for the first time since its launch that this hell is dissipating. According to Musk, the Tesla finally reached its target and produced 5,000 Model 3 vehicles in the last week of June. However, don't you know get too excited yet, it does remain to be seen whether Tesla can keep up this pace. Although the stock briefly popped on the news, it has since returned to its predominantly downward trend. Investors are understandably wary. Facebook has bought the team behind London-based startup Bloomsbury AI in what is known as an acquihire. This is when a company is acquired for its personnel rather than its product. This deal is rumoured to be worth somewhere in the region of $30 million and will probably see the shuttering of Bloomsbury AI as the team leave to join Facebook. Founded in 2015, Bloomsbury specialises in natural language processing and, perhaps most notably, has developed an artificial intelligence that can read documents and then answer questions about what it has read. Facebook will use this top talent to develop algorithms to fight fake news on the social network. X, a skunkworks research and development group owned by Alphabet, Google's parent company, is finalizing a deal to provide Kenya with internet-beaming balloons. These would be delivered under Project Loon, which began in 2013 and launches balloons into the stratosphere that then go on to act like airborne cell phone towers. These balloons would bring connectivity to massive swathes of rural Kenya. Joe Mushera, Kenya's Information, Communication and Technology Minister, told Reuters that, quote, The Loon team are still working out contracts. Hopefully, once that's done, we can be able to see almost every part of the country covered, end quote. Welcome to this week's Long Listen. In this week's Long Listen, Oliver Swetnam gives us an overview of the housing crisis facing London and the big wide world. Let's get into it. In honour of the 1900 Exposition Universelle in Paris, artists such as Jean-Marc Cotte were commissioned to produce a series of pictures predicting what the world might look like in the year 2000. The resulting images, featuring everything from firefighters with bat wings to domesticated whales being used as transportation, are indicative of two things. One, a rocky relationship with absinthe. Two, a sense of optimism for the future. The idea of viewing the impending decades with anything less than cynical nihilism is an alien concept to many millennials. Concerns over rising sea levels, nutty presidents and plastic oceans make predictions for the future a bleak exercise. Another worry wrinkling the collective brow of Generation Anxious is that of housing. Or, to put it another way, oh my god, where are we going to put everyone? Many are aware of how exceptional the increase in population in the 20th century was in the context of human existence, but it's useful to be reminded of just how big a statistical explosion this was, as outlined by Max Rosa. For thousands of years, the population grew only slowly, but in recent centuries it has jumped dramatically, 
Between 1900 and 2000, the increase in world population was three times greater than during the entire previous history of humanity, an increase from 1.5 to 6.1 billion in just 100 years. This radical altering of humankind's circumstances was not anticipated by Jean-Marc Cotte when he was making his optimistic, if slightly insane, predictions for the future, and this huge escalation in the number of people inhabiting the planet has naturally led to an increased demand for places to live. In the case of many cities across the world, this demand has not been sufficiently met. The World Health Organization predicts a global urban population of 6.4 billion by 2050, a worrying statistic given the recent track record of major cities at adequately housing people. CityLab identifies Hong Kong, Sydney, Vancouver and Melbourne as the worst offenders at failing to provide sufficient affordable housing. But my focus will be on the oft-cited and oft-lamented example of London. It is estimated that London needs around 50,000 new homes every year to meet demand. But despite this, on average, since the 1980s, it has built less than 17,000 annually. According to London councils, the capital requires 809,000 homes by 2021 to meet new housing needs. Rising demand from an increasing population combined with falling household size has led to a massive increase in house prices. As a simple result of supply and demand, this has led to a situation where prices are 70% higher than the UK average and 15.7 times the average London income. The issue of space has been a major cause of this current housing crisis. Certain restrictions specific to London have prevented mass building. The Green Belt, a ring of countryside around the capital maintained to prevent urban sprawl, has restricted outward expansion. Currently, over a fifth of the land of Greater London is classified as Green Belt. Equally protected views, such as that of St Paul's Cathedral from Parliament Hill, have meant that areas of London have resisted development. The scale of this problem has produced a plethora of potential solutions. Much debate has been focused on the so-called brownfield areas of London, derelict sites that are currently going to waste. The development of these sites would allow for the construction of some housing, but not nearly enough to provide for London's continually increasing population, as outlined by the Museum of London. Quote, A 2016 report from the housing charity Shelter noted that to build 50,000 homes using Brownfield alone, we would need to build the equivalent of four Olympic parks a year on top of what we are already building. The answer might very well lie in the efforts of different housing solutions across the globe, as the world's architects work imaginatively to respond to what is truly an international crisis. A group in Mexico City, BNKR Architectura, have quite literally inverted the Hong Kong-style response of building upwards, they have floated the idea of an earth scraper, a 300-metre subterranean inverted pyramid, essentially an upside-down skyscraper that, yeah, goes underground. The proposed architectural marvel would bypass Mexico's stringent building regulations and the city's increasing issues with space, whilst preserving the natural area around it. The 65-storey complex would house a museum dedicated to Mexican heritage and 10 floors of affordable housing, with the rest made up of commercial office and retail space, at an estimated cost of $800 million. If London did decide to follow the traditional route of building up rather than digging down, they might well follow the example of Danish trailblazer Bjark Ingels. By the way, I definitely mispronounced that first name, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Ingels' philosophy is a deceptively simple one, to make people happy. 
And I quote him, What's really going to make a home a happy place is what a resident does to it, and, in a way, also the freedom a resident has to transform it. What we try to do is deliver an abundance of daylight, generous ceiling spaces, as nice views as possible, and access to big outdoor spaces. His latest development will be in Vancouver, on what would seem to be unappealing land, right next to the exit ramps of the city's Granville Bridge. The 151-metre-tall Beach and Ho Tower will be a residential building specifically adapted to a compact urban environment, as detailed by CNBC. Using cutting-edge 3D modelling software, the building's design has been shaped by a lack of space in the surrounding environment. The tower's twisting form is due, in part, to architects wanting to ensure that residents' apartments do not have views of the highway's traffic. The most viable solution to London's housing issues might be simpler than inverted pyramids and twisting skyscrapers, however. In Japan, a nation whose population is actually decreasing, microhousing has become an established industry. Tiny houses or apartments with often less than 30 meters of floor space, microhouses are mass-produced in Japan like cars on an assembly line offering an alternative to city dwellers restricted by space and cost. The houses are designed with high ceilings and open-plan floor spaces and are often placed in leftover narrow strips and unused corners of land, meaning that urban expansion would be less of a concern. Although Londoners would have to accept the reduction in living space, microhouses would provide affordable living for a population that will only increase for the foreseeable future. A feasible option Microhousing could well be the solution, albeit a temporary one, to one of the most pressing crises of modern times. DeepMind, a British artificial intelligence company, drew immense media attention two years ago when its AI system beat the world champion of the game Go, an ancient board game which has more potential board positions than there are atoms in the universe. Now DeepMind has built an AI system that is capable of playing first-person shooter Quake at a human level of performance. The AI plays on a team with other AI or humans to capture the enemy's flag whilst protecting its own. This game mode poses a unique problem, namely that several individual agents must act independently whilst also cooperating. In a blog post, DeepMind wrote, This is an immensely difficult problem because with co-adapting agents, the world is constantly changing. End quote. The AI was never given the rules of the game, yet quickly picked up the objective and how to play through reinforcement learning and in working together, the AI learned to grow stronger. DeepMind said, quote, In general, we think this work highlights the potential of multi-agent training to advance the development of artificial intelligence. End quote. Toys R Us, that great figurehead of all things toyishly brilliant about childhood, is shuttering after having failed to emerge from its bankruptcy woes. That was announced back in March. But regardless of its debt burden, Toys R Us was doing something right. The stores generated $6.5 billion in US sales last year, and as this behemoth bows out, there are many vying to capture these billions. Amazon is staying on theme as it starts to look more and more like a traditional retail company. 
Having acquired Whole Foods for $13.7 billion earlier this year, Amazon then pondered buying up old Toys R Us locations, something which might still happen. In the meantime, Amazon has taken a shine to the physical catalogue that was so successful for Toys R Us and will be producing its own toy catalogue to be distributed to homes and in Whole Foods stores during the 2018 Christmas season. To be fair, I kind of love this. No amount of website slickery can beat flicking through a catalogue. If you've been on the interwebs recently, then you might have seen large banners running on sites like Wikipedia calling for you to save your internet. Well, this campaign attracted 700,000 signatures and has prompted MEPs at European Parliament to reject a drafted reform of EU copyright laws. The reform would have been the first change to copyright laws since 2001 and plans to address issues that have arisen in the digital age and redress the balance between content creators like newspapers and magazines and the giant internet companies on which they rely to drive eyeballs. It's a virtuous ambition, but one which many think has been poorly reflected in the drafted update. Most notably under the proposed law, sites like YouTube would have to use content filters to ensure their user-uploaded content doesn't contain copyright material. The law would also have insisted that search providers like Google pay publishers for displaying brief clips of content. Let's hope that we can settle on something a little bit more reasonable, but still hard-hitting. Last Sunday, Russia's big data retention law came into effect, forcing telecoms companies to store the details of customers' communications. Operators must keep all text messages, phone calls and chat activity that go through their networks for six months. This law is packaged with a host of others known as the Yaravaya laws on account of their conservative co-author Irina Yaravaya. Putin signed off on this new legislation back in mid-2016, despite a warning from Edward Snowden, who argued that they, quote, will take money and liberty from every Russian without improving safety, end quote. Indeed, the country's telecoms companies have estimated the cost of compliance to be in the billions of dollars over a five-year span. As well as being costly, the new law is a blow to the civil liberties of Russian citizens. The only real winners here are the Kremlin spies. If your long-estranged friend randomly sent you a picture of his dog this week, then I might have an explanation. There's a weird and pretty worrying bug on Samsung mobile phones that is causing them to spontaneously send photos from your camera roll to contacts in your address book. Even stranger is that these files are sent behind the scenes and do not appear in your text conversations. Users only find out what's happened when they get a confused response back from their mate. Samsung say they're looking into the issue. In the meantime, if you've got some photos you'd rather not be shared impromptu, then you can revoke Samsung Messages' permissions to access storage in order to avoid the bug from shooting off your artistic belfies into the ether. And it's done. It's over. You can open your eyes now, take it all in. Hopefully the tech world around you makes a bit more sense. You're all caught up. If you enjoyed the show, then please share the zip files with a friend. If you hated it, then please share it with an enemy. Also, sorry to be hashtag that guy, but if you're feeling bright and breezy, happy and friendly, then rating the zip files five stars on Apple Podcasts would help me out massively. I love you all. Until next Sunday, enjoy your oat milk lattes and have a great week. Bye.